The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. So King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or, or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father... Light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. The king, and King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, who the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation." Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter, but I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems." Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be yourself before yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, 
Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and his and, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mini, Mini, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him, that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for um, just the opportunity to hear it and, uh, and worship you, God, and praise you this morning. Um, I just ask that your Holy Spirit could just be in this place, God. May uh, you humble our hearts and open our ears, God, to hear what you have to say and, uh, and speak to us, Lord. Um, may you just speak through uh, Pastor John, Lord, as he shares, and um, may you just give him peace while he's up here, Lord, and um, we just ask for uh, safety with Randall while he's um, away from uh, Sunday today, God. Um, so we just ask that uh, your word may just reign true and uh, just reign true in our hearts, God. Uh, we love you and we surrender this time to you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Everyone's good. Thank you, Jonas, for loosening up the crowd for me. Yeah. All right. Um, hey, congratulations to the Padres. Uh, if you like the Padres or like baseball, it's a good thing. If you don't like the Padres and are a Dodger fan, it is not a great thing, but it's still okay. I can love the fact that this city is happy, you know what I'm saying, and that my family is happy. They're all San Diegans, so, uh, but really fun time in the city. I'm surprised you guys are all awake. I know you guys were out partying hard downtown last night. I know I was, uh, I live in the North Park area. There was fireworks going off. There was people screaming, man. What a fun night. I tried to go to bed at like nine. I just wanted to live in, um, in uh, blissful ignorance. But then my phone kept going bzz, 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 from people being like, yo, you watching this? You suck. I'm like, man, why are people so mean to me? <laughs> Anyways, um, well, yes, my name is John. Uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm a college young adult pastor at New Vision Church out in City Heights. And uh, man, we, we get an opportunity to talk about a really bizarre and interesting passage in Daniel, right? Uh, I, I don't know if you guys have uh, heard about, well, of course you've heard about it, but if you think about it or have read it much, but Romans 12, 2 is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. And if I think about the passages that I talk to people about, and I even remind myself over and 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 over, and over again, it's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And one of the things in Romans 2, 12, 2 in particular is that uh, the passage says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
right? And I've read that so many times, but a lot of times when I think about this, do not be conformed to this world, I, I see it as kind of like, yeah, it's a warning. You know, it's a warning to not have my mind or heart shaped by the world. That's cool, you know? I, I, I need to make sure and be careful about maybe how uh, the, the kinds of uh, media I'm consuming, the things I'm reading, the things that, that I'm latching onto for hope, security, purpose, all these things. I, I need to identify those things in my heart and then confess them back to the Lord to make sure that I'm not being conformed by this world. But sometimes I think we need to take a hard look and be pretty significantly warned <laughs> by the dangers and the destructiveness of what being conformed to this world is. Being conformed to this world will only lead to destruction. We see that in Matthew 7, we see two roads and two doorways. One is broad, where a lot of people are going. One is small and windy and not a lot of people. It says that the broad road is leading to destruction, whereas the windy road is leading to everlasting eternal life with God. And so our passage this morning in Daniel 5 really is a warning. It was a warning to the original readers. It was a warning to Babylon, the world, and it's a warning to us in 2022 of the dangers and the destructive nature of being conformed to this world. Now we're going to be talking about some predominant themes that, that we've been speaking about from the about the last uh, several weeks. The pastors and a bunch of people. I think uh, Bishop Joe over there shared uh, a passage in this book, "Faith for Exiles." I was hanging with Jonas a few weeks ago, and he told me about this, so I picked it up and I've been reading it. It's been fantastic. So if you guys don't already have this, pick it up, read it. It's, it's amazing. It's Faith for Exiles, Five Ways for a New Generation to Follow Jesus in Digital Babylon. Uh, just a, a, a great book. But there's been some themes that, that we've been going through in the book of Daniel. Uh, and, and so one of the goals, probably the principal goal for going through this series in Daniel is that we as a church would become faithful and resilient followers, followers of Jesus in exile. And in a spiritual sense, none of us belong here. This is not our home. This earth, this world, the values that are wrapped up in our society and our culture, this is not our home. This, we do not belong here. And so to our original audience, this passage in Daniel 5 accomplished two principal main things. Mainly, it's a story that served as a warning of the consequences that come with being conformed to or shaped by Babylon, right? So I have a six-year-old, four-year-old, and two-year-old, and we talk a lot about how choices, <laughs> the choices that we make have a variety of consequences associated with them, both bad and good. Good choices, good consequences. Bad choices, bad consequences. And so for our modern audience, the same kind of principle applies, right? While we are not in literal Babylon, right, two, three, four thousand years, however long this ago was, we are in America. And this scripture refers to Babylon as this kind of all-consuming and pervasive, pluralistic, pagan cultural influence. And so likewise, there are severe consequences that come with being conformed to or shaped by Babylon. And in, in the context of, of this book, in the context of how we've been talking about it with Daniel and how we apply it to today, Babylon is how we consider and what I would call the world today, right? 
And the second takeaway for our original audience is that there is purpose in remaining resilient and faithful to Jesus. There is purpose. It is hard, but there is purpose. We see that in, in what I referred to in Matthew 7 with the roads. We know that the, the windy road that not a lot of people are on because it's hard, we know that the end will be hope. We know that the end will be life. That there's a beautiful hope and a faith that comes from knowing that God is sovereign and in control of all things. One of the things that we learn about in Daniel, and especially in Daniel 5, is that God is sovereign over everything, right? We know that in the Bible, there's like a, a zoom in on the Israelites, but then you see it throughout the Old Testament, especially in the New Testament, but a lot in the Old Testament, is that God is not just in control of the Israelites, but he's actually in control of the human order. Every king, every society, everyone is subject under the authority of God, the creator. And so that's one of the cool things that we know that no matter how bad it is, no matter how difficult it is to be in exile in a foreign or an unknown land, that God is still, was still, and is still working out his redemptive plan of deliverance and salvation today. And so for this morning, I, I, I pray that this passage will do two things. One, it will be a good reminder and a warning not to be conformed to this world. That it will only lead to destruction. And the second thing for us is to encourage us that the end goal of the hope in Jesus is enough to help us persevere and be that resilient disciple of Christ. And so the title of this message is The Writing on the Wall, right? Which is a famous English idiom that basically means that something bad is about to happen. I literally used that referring to the Dodgers with my brother on the phone yesterday. The writing's on the wall. Oh man, that's so funny. I'm preaching on that this week. And so what we're going to be doing is I'm going to be contrasting uh, two kinds of people is those conformed to Babylon and the faithful followers in the exile. Now let's go ahead and dig into this passage and, uh, and, and read and sort of break some of this stuff down. So uh, three sections, be warned, Babylon's self-destructive behavior. The second is we're gonna take a, a snapshot of Daniel, which we've been looking at Daniel and his, and his friends for the past several weeks of they're an example of a faithful and a resilient exile. And finally, uh, we're gonna have a call to walk with Jesus in exile. Okay, so we have this passage uh, that we've been reading, but I just wanted to set it up by saying, if you had, someone told you that you had 24 hours left to live, how would you spend that time? If you had 24 hours left to live, how would you spend that time? And the second follow-up question to that is how, the way you chose to spend that time, what would, how would that reflect on your values of who you are, right? In, in this passage, uh, we have the main character with this, this guy, King Belshazzar, and he's sitting on the throne. He, he's basically what's called a regent king or uh, a replacement king. His dad is actually the king. Uh, I think he's like the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. His dad is actually the king, but his dad is off fighting the Persians, and so he's gone, and so there needs to be someone to sit in the throne and act as king. So Belshazzar is this kind of regent king, this replacement king, he's not even the real king. He's sitting in place of his dad. 
And so uh, he's, this regent king, Belshazzar, decides that it is a good idea to throw an elaborate party with his wives, nobles, lords, and concubines, right? And there's two reasons why this is particularly inappropriate. Uh, the first is every commentator that I read talked about how uh, culturally outrageous it was that Belshazzar would throw a party that would include his nobles, his lords, and his wives and his concubines all together. So even in the book of Esther in chapter one, we see that it is when the, when the king at that time threw a party, his wives were not invited. It was for the lords and the governors and all the people in power at that time, predominantly male, right? And so what they say is essentially what this was, was a sexually deviant, or in other words, drunken orgy that this guy, King Belshazzar, threw. Uh, he basically gathered all these people and was just like, hey, let's have a soiree, you know what I'm saying? And so it's crazy at that time. The second reason why this was crazy is literally just days before this, uh, in that area, you have these huge superpowers. You first have the Assyrians who were the superpower in the region. They took out the, the Israel, the, the Northern Kingdom, the 10 tribes of Israel. They took them out like a hundred or so years before this. And then the Babylonians came and they took out the Assyrians. So the Babylonians have had a long reign of being the dominant superpower in that region. And right now, literally the, like a few days or a week before this happened, the Medes and Persians come through and they take out the Babylonian armies. And so the armies have already been defeated. The Persians and Medes are literally on the doorstep of the capital city about to come into the city. Literally, Belshazzar and all of his people have 24 hours left to live. And this is how he chose to spend the last 24 hours of his life, by throwing this in crazy party. What does that say about what he valued? What does that say about what the culture valued? Now, uh, as we go through the story, we see that it wasn't enough that, that it kind of threw this, this, this crazy party thing uh, at that time when there's 24 hours left to live. The, the enemy armies were coming in. They were going to take over the city. But what we see is uh, Daniel writes is what actually pushed uh, God over the edge. That Belshazzar, in, when it says that he tasted the wine, decided, had this remarkable idea to go get the cups and, uh, and like bowls and things from the treasury of things that they stole from the temple in Jerusalem when they took over, when they came through. And he said, wouldn't that be fun <laughs> to, go, to go take those cups that we stole from the temple in Jerusalem, take them back here. We're already drinking wine. We're already partying. Wouldn't it be fun to just like drink wine out of those? <laughs> and so what, that's what they did. They drank wine out of the cups, the holy cups, the holy things that were used to, to glorify God. And they took these things and they incorporated them into their outrageous party. And they desecrated the vessels intended for holiness and sacrifice to God. And the text adds not only that, not only were they drinking out of these things, but as they were drinking out of them, they blasphemed God and they began to worship their idols of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Right? 
So the beginning, I asked this, what would we do with the last 24 hours of life, right? How would we serve, how, what would we do? And how would that reflect upon who we are and what we value? Well, this is what Belshazzar and his leaders of Babylon chose to do with their last night of life. And so what does that show about their values? I would argue that this would be what I'd call self-destructive behavior <laughs> of what they engaged in. A few things that they did. One, they chose to medicate their fear, loss, and pain being conquered, about to die. They chose to medicate that by indulging in the lust of the flesh. That's what they did. Last 24 hours. They created, it within their realm, they created an illusion of power to mask their powerlessness. Belshazzar had no power. In fact, it, already, he's a regent king, but he's literally going to get taken out. He had no power over anything. But they created this illusion of power to mask their powerlessness. And perhaps the most uh, catastrophic thing that they did was it displayed their spiritual pride. They desecrated the God of Israel by doing two things. They drank wine out of the holy instruments and they worshiped their own gods. And a little bit later, Daniel actually, in, in, as he's talking to Belshazzar, he says this. This is the ultimate stamp of warning for us. This is the warning for the original readers. This is the warning for Belshazzar. And Daniel, in, later in this chapter 5, verse 21, it says, until he knew, he said that you should have known not to do this because he's referencing Nebuchadnezzar. We just went over this like last week, right? He was referencing what happened to Nebuchadnezzar in his pride, what God did to him. <laughs> uh, so it says, until he knew Nebuchadnezzar, that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will, and you, his son, Belshazzar, I have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored." Belshazzar knew the consequences, but he chose to say, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. Now, we've talked about how there is a parallel between Babylon and how we consider, a lot of times the Bible, Old Testament prophets, even the New Testament, refer to Babylon as kind of this all-consuming, pagan, pluralistic, cultural influence. And so even today, as we apply the secular world that we live in, the secular culture that we live in would be a pluralistic, meaning a million different kinds of beliefs that come from all different kinds of places, philosophies that we live our lives by, religions that we have. It's a pluralistic, pagan in the sense of it is not of God and all consuming, it is literally everywhere. It's on our phones, it's in our media, it's everywhere that our day and age today would be considered the same kind of Babylon that Daniel is speaking against today. So how can we make, draw parallels between the, the Babylon that we see in this passage and the Babylon, a predominant, all-consuming, pagan, pluralistic society of today? 
And the fir- first thing I was thinking about is, how, is the warning for our culture today. And my, my question was, how does the world today, how do we, I mean, this is where it gets real personal, but how do we, but the predominant world today, how do we deal with loss? How do we deal with pain? How do we deal with disappointment or frustration or feeling inferior or being depressed or anxious? Guys, we live in this fallen world. Our default as human beings was to believe and be, we were created to be things in relationship, to be created in the image of God, to experience relationship and the fullness of intimate relationship with God and with each other. We were supposed to have joy. There was no even thought of shame. There was no thought of abuse. There was no thought of anxiety. There was no thought of depression. Being with God and being at home with God was supposed to be how our, like our, our, like our default, who we are as people. But because of our fallen, broken world, all of a sudden, in came in, we see this in Genesis 3, Genesis 3, in came in loss, in came in shame, in came in depression, in came in sin. And from then on, human beings have been desperately trying to experience that wholeness and that fullness with God because that is how every single human being on the planet was created to experience in our default state. Because of sin, none of us can experience it, but we want to really bad. And so what does our world say when we experience that loss, when we feel that pain, when we feel depressed, when we feel alone? The world says, turn to created things for satisfaction and purpose. Turn to created things. These created things could be power. These created things could be promotion in your job. These created things could be more money. These created things could be sex. These created things could be drugs and alcohol. The list goes on and on. The things that we medicate ourselves with in order to hide the pain that we might be feeling inside. And we know in this world as we see it, but also internally when we look internally into ourselves, but as we see it in this world, we know that it's a vicious cycle. It's, we, we can tell that because in our world, mental health issues are up. <laughs> we know this because divorce and broken marriages are on the rise. We know this because suicide is on the rise. We know this because abuse in all forms is on the rise. We know this because addiction in all forms is on the rise. Nothing outside the love of Christ will satisfy your soul. The gospel is the healing ointment to desperate longing to the desperate longing of our souls. Now here's the deal. The warning is this. What Belshazzar did with his people is what we do and what our society defaults to. It's kind of this, I'm, gonna, I'm already gonna go to hell, so I might as well party as I go. You know, that kind of vibe. This, our society also has a spiritual idolatry As I've already said, we live in this pluralistic pagan society that worships anything and everything. The predominant view or the predominant hope is happiness. I I think I've said it before, uh, but when I ask people around and I ask people two two questions. One, where do you find purpose in life? Where do we collectively as human beings, what is our purpose? And most people will say something along the lines of uh, to pursue happiness, you know, to be happy. 
And the second question is usually what's wrong with the world? The world obviously is wrong, so what's wrong with it? And most people will say, well, it's greed, people's pursuit of money, or it's people's pursuit of power, or it's equality, or it's these kind of things. But what's so ironic about their answer is that they say that the purpose of humans is to be happy, but what's wrong with the world is people pursuing happiness and all these created things. And so there is a broken order in how we see the world, how the world sees the world of the solutions to the problems. The solutions that they propose are the actual problems of our society that has taken us down. And it's the spiritual idolatry. We worship all these created things. It might not be gold, silver, wood, or ore like Belshazzar and his people did, but we worship all kinds of created things. Spiritual pride. There's a funda- fundamental belief that one's actions or worldview belief system is superior to God's, to the Bible. In a spiritual sense, it's a belief that I'm correct and God is wrong. <laughs> he does not know what he's talking about. If you, anywhere really, but I mean, even on college campuses, I mean, this is a big one. I know a lot of you guys are, are college students. What's it like to, to talk to people about religion, faith, belief? I mean, it, it, there's, a, there's a general sense of you are dumb <laughs> if you believe in these things. There is a fundamental spiritual pride within our society that is oppressive. It is the, the water that we swim in. And so we see, though, from the warnings, and I'll... I'll uh, move on and close up here in a sec, because we see from the reality of our world, the warnings from Belshazzar, we see what happens when someone doesn't consider the examples of what happened to those that had the pride, spiritual pride in their hearts. In the Bible, we see that Nebuchadnezzar, and we even see Belshazzar as examples of people who were conformed to the world that they were in. We see people who did not take it seriously that if I want to uh, live a life of Christ, then I need to identify and reject the ways in which the world are anti-Christ. How are we going to respond to this warning just as, as people? Is there anything in us that is looking more like the world than like God? And I'm up here saying this, but man, I'm telling you, it it is a practice for us to evaluate daily ways in which our heart is being drawn to the things of this world. I am telling you, it could be something as small as sports. (laughs) Like all I'm thinking about, all I'm consumed about, my emotions are dictated by how this particular team or how this particular group is, is, is operating or playing. That is idolatry in a sense but it could be bigger. Talking to people with severe addiction, it is all consuming. What in our hearts and our lives, it is something, it's an epidemic. Every single one of us in this room have things that we are allowing ourselves to be conformed by this world with. What is it? The application for today is to consider and just have a heart to heart with yourself and with God. We're gonna do communion a little later. Have a heart to heart with yourself and God and say, God, you know, reveal to me ways in which I am being conformed to this world. 
how my thought process is being more shaped by this world and the values of the world than by you, God? Is there pride in your heart? Do you believe that you are self-sufficient? Is it not necessary to surrender every aspect of your life to Jesus? I'll give elements of my life to Jesus, but not every aspect of my life to Jesus. Romans 12.1 talks about this idea to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to God. That is our spiritual act of worship. And part of that is being, what it is, is surrendering our whole selves, willingly giving our enti- ourselves as sacrifices. That means our, our, our bodies, that means our, our wills, that means our future. It means everything that we are is to be given to God as a sacrifice. And what that means is that we're called to surrender every aspect and element of our life under the Lordship of Christ. It means that we open our hands and we say, God, everything is yours. My finances are yours. My family is yours. My job is yours. My future, my aspirations, my grades, everything are yours. God, take them, use them. I trust you with them. To hold back is an element of pride. Now, again, I'm saying if I, if I were to air my dirty laundry, goodness gracious, we'd have a few more hours left. But what I'm saying is every single one of us in here, the goal is to surrender our whole lives under the Lordship of Christ. But there are things in us that are still we're like, oh, I don't know about that yet. I really like comfort. <laughs> I really don't want to have to give that much money to the church for this particular thing because I might not be able to do that. Or nervousness about, I I don't know, all kinds of things. What are we going to do with the warning? And then we see, uh, as we continue in the story, we see an example of a faithful and resilient disciple, right? We see, we see, we've seen examples of this already in the first four chapters of Daniel. It's one of the most amazing things about this book is that you see the all-consuming power of Babylon, and yet you see these guys that are in exile. They're not in their homes. They're not in their default space, and they're in this place, and yet they continue to walk out their faith in God as faithful and resilient disciples. And what I love about this, Daniel becomes a a main character in this story as he's kind of rebuking and warning Belshazzar and interpreting the, the writing on the wall. But we also see what I love about this is that the queen mother, his, the, the Belshazzar's mom or grandma or whoever she is, comes up to, to him and says, hey, I see that you're terrified. She, it says, let not your th- thoughts alarm you or your color change. <laughs> Basically, the dude was pale. He was scared out of his mind when he saw the hand appear. I, I don't know how you would feel. I'd feel kind of, it'd be weird. It'd be weird. But she says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light, understanding, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Isn't that crazy? that even in the person who's the most powerful person in the Babylonian society at the time, when he needed something, 
Who's the first person that the queen mother thought about? A man full of the spirit of God. Resilient, faithful disciples. We're going to see next week, he gets thrown into the lion's den for being faithful and not saying, you know what, I'm not going to bow to you. (laughs) I'm going to keep walking with God and doing what I'm called to do, even in the midst of death. But as he did this, as he lived out his life, as he walked the walk in the midst of Babylon, he didn't hide. I don't know if you guys have talked about this, and I'm sure you have, but in Jeremiah 29, uh, Jeremiah gives this thing. He says to to the exiles in Babylon, he says, don't hide. Actually, go into the society. Bless Babylon. Buy houses. Raise kids. Do things for the welfare of the city. Because when God blesses you, he will bless the city. That's what Daniel did. He, he went into Babylon. He wasn't conformed to Babylon, but he was in Babylon and he was a faithful obedient to who God was in his life. I don't know where you're at in your workspace, on a college campus, in class. We are to be faithful, resilient exiles in these places. And that doesn't mean we're condemning people all the time. It doesn't mean that we're like, I can't, I, I can't, I can't get like the, the smell of Babylon on me. But it means to be in the midst of the world, blessing people, sharing your faith, asking people what's going on. Man, there's so much pain and brokenness and hurt. And if you just say, ask someone, hey, how are you? How's your day? Let's go get lunch. Let's be friends. Let's hang out. Let's talk about life. It's amazing the ways in which God uses you to be a bringer of peace into the circles that you're in. That we are called to be in the world, but not be conformed by the world. And as we fast forward, I loved uh, Joe and Sarah, their testimonies. I love testimonies in church because when you just hear from a pastor, it's one perspective, but when you hear from each other about what's going on in life, there's like a, a reality, a realness. Uh, uh, there, there's, it's like you guys are doing it and you're not perfect, <laughs> but you're in the mix of, of the world. You get to hear stories where, uh, of Joe's family and, where, and, and, and his life, and you get to be encouraged by that, and you get to be encouraged to also um, to be resilient, as, uh, to be a resilient follower of Jesus based on the experience that him, of him and his fa- uh, family. And so they already said it with this idea about intergenerational connections and, and things. How do we not be conformed to this world? How do we become transformed by the word of God? It's to spend time at the feet of Jesus, but it's also to be around other Christ followers. One of the craziest things in here was, it talked about how youth today are, are, are not, you know, I, I grew up, in the church, but I grew up having my school friends and my church friends. Sometimes the church friends, we did stupid things. I was a pastor's kid, you know. Um, but for the most part, I had a, uh, a Christian worldview and I had Christian friends, a community that we could be stupid junior high and high schoolers together, but still like talk to each other. When I got to college, I joined a Christian fellowship on campus that, that was formative in my life to have other like-minded people that were planted in educational Babylon that we could still live and interact with each other and, but then also be in the world, be lights to the world and be ambassadors for Christ in the university setting. It was amazing. 
And even now, I mean, we're planted in a neighborhood, in a street, and I, I know all the names of the neighbors and all their stuff. And, and man, we talk about life, and, and I see myself as a planted person there. But if I'm there all the time and I don't have believers and, and faithful people like us as the church to come back to and share the hard things that are going on, to confess my sin, to, to, to talk about the days that I'm feeling really sad or lonely or all these things. If I don't have that, then I'm going to be more quickly conformed to this world. And so this, this church, church is, yes, for, for preaching and everything, but church is this group being the hands and feet of Jesus to each other. And so it is important that we're in, uh, what is it called, city groups? Yes, it's important that we're in city groups. It's important that we have discipleship on all levels, that we have, we're discipling peer-on-peer disciples where we can get together and pray and share uh, our struggles and, and encourage one another. But it's important that we have older people that are pouring into us that say, hey, watch out or do this. And it's important that we are also pouring into the younger generation as well. That is what church is and, and one of the ways in which that we can continually be transformed in our thinking and not be conformed to cultural Babylon. And I just wanted to end with this because I, I love church history and I just think, um, I, I just think that we get so many great uh, stories from, from traditions of uh, martyrs of the faith. Uh, that in uh, early fourth century, I think it was after, um, actually after Constantine kind of, institutionalized Christianity, uh, just before that, there was still kind of a split in the West and the East in uh, the Roman Empire. And so there was an army and he had his soldiers and a, and a military general that was on the East and, and he still was on the impression that we are to persecute anyone who follows Jesus. And so the general basically said, he said, okay, everyone sacrifice to the gods or sacrifice to the to emperor and there were 40 soldiers who were Christians and they said, no. The general said, if you do not, you will die. The Christian said, we will not. It was freezing, it was cold. There was a frozen lake. And so what the general said is, we're gonna whip you, we're gonna do this stuff, and then we're gonna send you, ship you naked, we're gonna send you into the middle of the frozen lake to die. If though you were to recant your faith, if you said deny your faith and come over and do the sacrifices, he put in baths of steaming hot water around the lake to tempt the, peop the, the soldiers who were naked and standing in the middle of this icy lake as it was getting dark. These men, this tradition says, is that there, there were 40 soldiers and they went out there and as they were naked huddled together in the middle of this lake, they sang 40 brave soldiers for Jesus 40 brave soldiers for Christ will be true to our God and stare death in the face as we perish on this lake of ice will be 40 brave soldiers for Christ. And as the evening progressed, their singing started getting quieter and quieter and one soldier actually made his way out and went to one of the, the hot baths. And 39, they continued and they said 39 brave soldiers for Jesus, 39 brave soldiers for Christ and they kept singing that. One of the guards who was not a Christian was witnessing this thing and was just so moved by the profession of faith and, this, and the, the resilience of these followers of God that he actually took off his clothes and he went out there into the middle of the lake 
And they began to sing again, 40 brave soldiers for Jesus, 40 brave soldiers for Christ. We'll be true to our God and stare death in the face as we perish on this lake of ice. We'll be 40 brave soldiers for Christ. That night, 40 brave soldiers died. But what we know and why, when we think about, when contrast, we have 24 hours left to live, how are you going to live your life? And we see what a faithful, resilient follower of Jesus does. And we see someone who is corrupted by the Babylonian cultural mindset and world, the self-destructive nature of it. And I believe that God is calling us to say, are you going to be a resilient, brave soldier for Christ? Are you going to be in the world? Are you going to be of God Are you going to be transformed in your mind or are you going to be conformed and turned into the world where your thought processes, the the way you think about life, the way that your your philosophies are developed are of the world or are they gonna be shaped by the God of the universe who is sovereign over all things. He makes nations rise up and he brings nations crashing down because he is the only king of the universe and is the only one that can provide any kind of hope, joy, love, or fulfillment in our life. And so, Grace City, I charge us to heed, consider and heed the warning of the book of Daniel, of what it looks like to be conformed to this world. It will lead to destruction. And I wanna ask us to strongly consider giving up our entire and whole life to Jesus and ask him to transform us, to make us into the men and women that he would have for us and to be the hands and feet to this broken world, to bring more to know Jesus so that we can experience eternal life with him forever. All right, let me pray real quick. God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you so much that you did not leave us alone to try to figure out this world by ourselves, but you gave us countless examples of men and women of faith. You gave us countless examples and warnings of what it means to, to, to be conformed by the world. And God, we acknowledge though that it's way harder than just stop it or do this. We acknowledge that even in our hearts when we think about the things that we're wrestling with or struggling with that, that we, we can, I, I know the things that, that I'm being conformed by this world with. God, we confess those to you. I don't want that to, to guide or direct or shape my world. I want you to shape my life. And so Lord, I just pray that you would give us the ability as a community through the power of your Holy Spirit to show us the areas that we are not surrendering to you and give us the ability and the faith to be able to surrender them to you and live our lives faithfully and resilient as we follow you. God, I just pray blessings over this community. I pray blessings over this church. I pray that this would be a church that is a beacon of hope to the the community here. I pray that each individual would be a beacon of hope and love into the different spheres that they are in. I pray protection over them as the enemy is at work. I pray protection over them in the name of Jesus that you would prevent the enemy and the world to, 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 to bind them, to, to infiltrate the Lord. We just pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would go before them and that you would protect their minds, you'd protect their hearts, and you'd protect their bodies from anything and everything that is not of you, Jesus. And God, we just pray We pray that your kingdom come and that your will would be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.